Disrupting Japan, Episode 83. Disrupting Japan is sponsored by Justa. Now, I've known the team at Justa for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they are priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to talk about the future of meat. Many would say the future of humanity, but really today we're just going to talk about the meat. Yuki Hanyu and his team at Shojin Meat are growing meat in the lab, and they're doing it at a tiny fraction of the cost of traditional methods. Actually, it turns out that lab grown meat, or cellular agriculture, as the discipline is actually called, Is not particularly new. It's been an active development all over the world for well over a hundred years. What's different about Shojin Meat, however, is that they've been able to bring the cost down by an astounding three orders of magnitude. And that brings the technology within striking distance of a lot of practical uses. We also dive into the actual science behind cellular agriculture, and if you can follow all of it, It means that you're a huge biology nerd, and I love you for it. Otherwise, it'll be good just to let the science wash over you. It's a pretty amazing topic. Another thing we talk about is why Japanese life sciences startups have such a hard time both raising money and growing here in Japan, and how Shojin Meat has found a way to make the system work for them. But you know, Yuki tells that story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and get right to the interview. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two W's, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. And these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. Many are open to global startups and they're completely free. Now, I've known and worked with the crew team, and they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So drop by crew with two W's dot ME slash four hyphen startups and get started. So, I'm sitting here with Yuki Hanyu of Shojin Mi.、Yeah. And thanks for sitting down with me.、Oh, thank you very much for inviting me to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about meat. Yeah, meat. <laughs> and、uh, more specifically, cellular agriculture. So, to get started, why don't you explain what Shojin Mi is? We are a collection of volunteer students, artists, and people of various disciplines to develop cultured meat technology. So it's a biohacker community here in Tokyo,、mm. right? Yes.、Mm-hmm. So, how long have you been doing this? If you're you talking about active wet, wet laboratory work, that will be about a year, year and a half. Okay. Yeah, and talking to people, gathering,、uh, 
building a team that will be about two and a half years. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, actually, before we before we go forward in this, let's step back a bit and talk about the process. So. How exactly does the process work? What are you doing? Uh, the basic idea of cultures meat is quite simple. Basically, you take this uh, animal, get a few a few cells out from that animal. It could be chicken, beef, pork, or anything. You don't even need to kill the animal. You take the few cells, and then you get this uh, into a culture medium, and grow the cells in culture medium. And at the end, you get a mass of cells, which is basically meat. Okay. Now, when you say any cell. Is it really any cells, like any muscle cell, or do you need stem cells, or anything at all will work? Uh, actually, more specifically, there's a special type of cells called myosatellite cells, or myoblast cells, and those cells are so-called the, the stem cell of muscle cells. Okay. Yeah. In your own work, are you working with cattle, or pork, or mm. chicken, or what, what type of meat are you growing? Well, for experiments, we're using mouse, uh, muscle cells, and for actual food development work, we're using chicken now. Chicken? Yes. Okay. And the beauty is, the method that's, that we discovered from mouse is actually directly applicable to chicken cells as well, and so is it for cattle, pork, or anything. Why choose chicken? Is that simpler than beef or pork? Uh, because it is easier to get the cells. Mm. Ah, okay. Very practical reason. Mm. Yes. Okay, so you grow these cells in a broth. Well, how much time and money does it take to, to grow enough meat to eat? So if I wanted to grow enough for, say, a 200-gram chicken sandwich, yeah. how much time and money would that take? The time would be about 20 days, but the, um, the money is the, the important part because with the current technology, it costs ridiculous amounts, such as... Like, uh, 10,000, 20,000 US dollars or something. It's very, very expensive. 10 to 20,000 dollars. Okay. Yes. And making that cheap is the most important technological hurdle. Okay. That's, that's an expensive sandwich. A little later on, I, I want to get back to the technological hurdles and what you're trying to optimize to bring the cost down. But what does it taste like? Does it taste like chicken? It's kind of a joke, but I mean, mm. does it, does it actually taste like chicken? What is it? Well, when we cooked it, it tasted like a fried piece of KFC. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. you use like seasoning and... Uh, yes, because you don't eat raw meat. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. So lab-grown meat, does it have a similar consistency and texture as regular meat, or is it different somehow? Well, at the moment, with, uh, with our current limited technology, it's just an uh, uh, aggregate of muscle cells. But in the future, as the technology matures, it will be a question of what sort of meat do you want. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so you can have like any texture, even any taste, really. Well, actually, before we, we dive into the meat, I want to ask you a bit about you. Oh. <laughs> so before starting Shoujin Meat, you studied at Oxford and then um, at Tohoku University and went on to as a researcher at Toshiba. And none of this had to do with <laughs> cellular agriculture. So why, why the big change? Why leave a steady research position to start growing meat? Well, the, the idea of like, the culturing meat has been around from, from long ago. And for me personally, I, was, I already knew the idea when I was like five or eight reading science fiction manga. Really? Okay. <laughs> and, um, as well as the cultured meat, I was also fascinated with all the kilometer skyscrapers, starships and those things, all general science fiction sure. that a lot of like young boys are into. I somehow never, never grew from it. <laughs> I just kept on going. Uh, my degree in Oxford was chemistry and more into organic and biological. 
And with that specialty, I moved into battery research. It was sort of like science fiction as a mid-21st century science fiction where everywhere is covered with solar panels and renewable energy and those things. So continuing the science fiction yes. theme. <laughs> yeah. After that, I, I realized that I actually need to study systems engineering in addition to my specialties in like chemistry, battery technology, all those things. That's why I went into Toshiba Research and Development Center, uh, System Engineering Laboratory. And... Then I came to the position of, like, I have to choose which science fiction dream I should pursue. <laughs> okay. Then I thought about, well, my specialty, chemistry, more biological, and the cultured meat is what the world needs now. So I go for that. <laughs> okay. And it seems like something, at least in Japan, you very much have to do on your own. This isn't a subject of research at yeah. any of the corporations or the large yeah. universities that I know of. It's actually the same with, uh, with any countries. Because cellular agriculture is not established as a discipline yet. Because there's no this discipline, there's no expert, and there's no way to fund that sort of discipline. So we have to establish that first. Right. And that's what New Harvest, the leading NPO on this field, is doing. Okay, so it wasn't... Um, so I've heard people talk about lab-grown meat in terms of sustainability or yes. cruelty to animals, but your motivation was really, it was cool and futuristic? Uh, yes, and it is also the, the technology it uses is actually the large-scale cell culture. It has got a lot more applications other than cultured meat. You can, using the same technology, you can grow, uh, say, kidney or uh, liver cells, and the medical applications of that is also huge. Okay, but I could see even in the in the near term, the medical uses might mm. adopt this technology yes. much sooner than yes. just general mm. uh, food. Because if you can grow skin for grafting mm. or, like you said, like liver cells, yes. it's worth a lot more money than mm. a chicken sandwich. Yeah. So you started shoujin meat in 2015. Mm, and yeah. what, what does the name mean? Shoujin actually means, it's a, originally a Buddhist term. It means the devotion to the path. And the path is like a path to enlightenment or nirvana, those things. I would say what's going on in the, in the world now, such as all the, all the environmental destruction and cutting, cutting down forests and those things, unsustainable practice, it's obviously not leading to nirvana. I see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Me, myself, is not a Buddhist, but I can see that, it, that those unsustainable things is not a good idea. So it's more the idea like this is the right path forward. Yes. And also the devotion to the right path. It's just saying that's the right path doesn't really help. So you have to be <laughs> committed to that. Actually, now that I think about it, you're not using shojin in the, the Buddhist sense of the word. But is cultured meat, is that kosher? Is that halal? There are debates on that. <laughs> and it's, although no religious body has like officially made a comment on it, but some clerics have already done so. And there was a uh, rabbi uh, saying that if the original is original animal is kosher, then cultured meat out of that animal will be kosher as well. And a similar similar argument for like halal. And there was another Muslim cleric who said you don't even ha even have to worry about those things because it's just the same as yogurt, like bioengineered food. Ah, right. It's coming from the animal. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that they're already discussing that. Mm. Okay. So getting back to shojin meat. You started Shoujin Meat and a company called Intrigaculture, both at the same time. 
Can you explain the relationship of the two and how they work together? Uh, well, Shojimit project is a more interdisciplinary effort, and within the, the organization, it has got lots of clusters, like art cluster, research and development cluster, culture medium cluster, or life cycle assessment clusters, and Integri Culture Inc. is the uh, commercialization cluster. Okay, so that's the commercial entity that has、yes. to make a commercially viable product out of this.、Yes. Right now, how many people are involved in the project? Levels of commitments vary, but I would say like twenty-five to thirty. And youngest member is like high school girl. Okay. What are most of the members? Are they university research faculty? Are they just、uh, interested laymen?、Uh, about forty percent are students. About half are professionals. The remaining, remaining like married woman and or retired person, those sort of people. Okay. Shoujin Meet is an open research project. The, the goal is to share data and to collaborate、mm. around the world. But you've also applied for several patents、mm. using this technology. Yes. How do you reconcile the、mm. the patent protection、yeah. with the open nature of the research?、Mm. Registered patents becomes open, but it's up to us. What normally big corporations do is that when they file a patent, they are the only ones who can use it. But what we are trying to do is allowing people to use our patents. So it could be individuals,、uh, universities, or even startups. And if big big companies want to use our technology, then that's where the money would become involved in. Okay, so any companies less than a certain size or producing less than a certain dollar volume could use your patents for free, and if they go beyond that, they have to pay. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But in the immediate term. This kind of research is expensive and time-consuming.、Mm. What's your business model now? How are you making money to fund this right now today?、Mm. Well, it goes in two ways actually.、Uh, one way is doing experiments that's very, very low cost, which we have to achieve in the future anyway. And such as doing experiments at home, my mother wasn't very happy about that. But I did, <laughs> I did make a culture medium at home. Okay. Yeah, and use other very low cost、uh, ingredients. Another another team members using apple juice to prepare culture medium components. Well, I I think there definitely is an interesting competitive pressure by the fact that you're forced to use very inexpensive materials.、Mm. Sends you in a certain technological direction that、mm. uh, to develop something that can be used much、yeah. more widespread. So that's like basically one approach: the very, very low-cost experiments. And the another approach is, as we mentioned slightly earlier, the medical applications. We are actually trying to team up with、uh, team up with、like, this medical supplies company to start research on like medical applications of large-scale cell culture, and that will be a joint research project. Okay, clearly at some point.、Mm. You're going to need significant outside investment to、mm. to move this to the next level. Yes, I know Intrigue Culture raised five million yen、mm. uh, in December last year. Yeah, but you know it doesn't seem like five million yen is going to、mm. go very far.、Mm. It's a you can't even make a sandwich with that.、Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that investment came from our seed accelerator, so that's basically their first bite for basically supporting supporting us. So technically speaking, we haven't we haven't done the first like major outside investment. For the outside investment, we are going forward with that conversations with the medical supplies company. So you think the direction of the company will be more towards the medical side of the、yes, field first?、Now. We won't go, get completely into medical applications because、uh, otherwise we have to deal with all the FDA applications, those things, and that's not our work.、Ah. Yeah, and we are sticking with large-scale cell culture. Well, let's let's talk big picture about the future of meat.、Mm. 
So today, what are people's general reactions to the whole idea of cultured meat? Is it something people want to eat? Is it something they feel disgusted by? What? Well, the reactions vary quite a lot according to the social clusters. For like young people or like people with progressive mind or those scientists, they are very much for idea, even 70-80%. But when it comes to elder people then who are not familiar with the idea, their initial reaction is very much negative, uh, if uninformed. If uninformed. So yeah. if, when, you, when you explain the reasons behind it, do they t- tend to yes. change their minds? That actually happens. We've experienced that. And also the s- similar experience has been reported by other groups of overseas. The general figure is, if uninformed, 70 to 80% says no. But when informed about the sustainability, what's actually happening with the factory farming, then the, the ratio flips. Well, that's really encouraging. Mm-hmm. It indicates that, mm. that this is a technology that will be accepted yeah. and embraced. Mm. But as we talked before, there's, there's a lot of challenges that still need to mm. be, be overcome. And so, you know, you were saying my, my chicken sandwich would cost $200,000. Mm. Why is it still so expensive now? What are the big technological problems that need to be solved? Yes, it is because the culture medium is very expensive. And the culture medium, it also uses animal sourced components. So the culture medium is not cruelty-free or animal-free. So the medium, is it grown on a, is it like a broth? Is yes, it... Uh, it uses something called fetal bovine serum, which is basically the processed blood of unborn cows. Okay. So with the current technology, mm. it requires, in a way, more animal input than animal output. Yes. Okay, that's a problem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the solution? What are you guys doing to solve that? Yeah, yeah. So for that animal component called FPS, uh, we are basically replacing that with yeast-based component. <laughs> oh. And so I basically, see. I get this, I make this yeast, yeast extract thing at home and use that instead of FPS, prepare culture medium, and get a meat out of it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's the, the our general idea. Huh. And so how much does that bring costs down? Using the, use, the yeast-based uh, culture medium. Uh, the current FPS is about per liter, $1,200 or something. The yeast extract prepared at home, it costs only about a one, one yen per liter, so like one cent. Wow. <laughs> very, very low cost. <laughs> okay, so that's a, a factor of 10,000 yes, times. Yes, something like that. Okay. Yeah. That is game-changing. Mm. So is that really the only thing that's holding back? Large-scale production, is that the cost of the, the culture medium? Well, there are other, uh, two other components, which is the basic sugar, protein, those things, and also the growth hormones. The growth hormones are also very, very expensive, but we're basically solving that problem by, as well as, well as muscle cells, we're also growing other types of cells which secrete uh, growth hormones. Just if you look at a human body, such as like you know, thyroid, liver, those cells secrete growth hormones. So basically, we are culturing muscle cells alongside these, these cells oh, to get the growth hormones. And for the, thir- uh, for the third component, which is the sugar, protein, those things, if you look at the component, you probably think you can buy that in the supermarket. And we actually did that. And when I was doing an experiment, I thought our culture medium was running low. So I basically went out to the coffee room, bought a uh, like, Gatorade like, sports drink, took it back to the lab and used it as a culture medium. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering what is the the trigger for for this advancement. So we we met last month at the Singularity University mm-hmm. event. You know, we talked a lot about the exponential nature of change, and and clearly this is exponential change is something that's really important mm-hmm. for this kind of technology. 
but cultured meat's not new. I thought it had been around since like the 1930s, but you were telling me it's been mm. around for more than 100 years, yeah. right? And it's not a digital technology mm. where you have something like Moore's Law giving you more yeah. power every 18 months. This yeah. is really chemistry and biology yeah. and and you're, you're constrained mostly by the laws of physics. Yeah. So what has it been recently that have, has allowed you to make these these big jumps mm. in you know 10,000 times mm. cost reduction yeah you know, the reason why we succeeded is everyone else was like not even trying more precisely speaking the culture medium it has been has been used only for like research and development or med- medical purposes and no one was really looking at the food application of that and obviously food application and medical applications the specification specifications are entirely different True. And culture medium, from food product point of view, it can be made a lot, lot, lot cheaper. And that's basically what we did. Yeah. Interesting. But when you're growing the meat, like uh, growing muscle tissue, when an animal grows muscle tissue, yeah. there's a lot more than just the muscle tissue. If you're growing meat in a broth or in a Petri dish, yeah. there are no arteries to bring nutrients mm. to the meat. There's no veins to carry away the waste. and, and, and yeah. So how do you scale up production from a, a few cells in a Petri dish mm. to, to a chicken sandwich? Yeah, it depends on what type of meat you want to grow. We are looking at that in like three categories. One is a, a ground meat, and second is bacon, and the third is steak. Okay. And ground meat is the technologically easiest, then comes bacon, and then comes steak. And well, because for ground meat, it's basically uh, an aggregate of muscle cells, and you can just simply grow them in like in a big tank, which which is being like swirled around. But when it comes to bacon, you have to have some certain textures, and that's where um, tissue engineering technology or the use of cell scaffold come in. So that's basically something that cells can hold on to and grow. And when it comes to steak, then you have to start worrying about like all the arteries, nerves, those things. But that I guess that is true. When you're when the taste of the meat, it's not just the muscle; it's mm. fat cells, it's yes. all all kinds of things. Mm. But taking it a step back into bacon or mm. or something similar to ground beef, would you need to add flavoring to make it taste like meat? The, the meat taste actually consists of the um, amino acid taste and the fat taste, and also a bit of uh, like blood heme taste. So that would have to be added later? Well, the, the fat cells can be grown together. The heme component, you can actually get, get it out of liver cells, or you can also use like, um, plant-based heme components. All right, so the, the, the taste is actually one of the easier problems to solve. Yes. Interesting. Before you mentioned that there aren't many startups applying this to food, but if the process is still expensive mm. and you need to add in kind of this flavoring mm. afterwards, why not use plant-based substitutes like uh, soy and, mm. and non-meat products to simulate the meat? Uh, well, the soy-based beef has, has been around for, for a long time. It comes to an important question, what do consumers actually want? What people want is not the protein and not even the meat. What they actually want is could be yakitori, teriyaki, or like steak, or those things. So, and when it comes to that, plant-based, um, plant-based meat alternative or meat lookalikes, they can't simulate steak or bacon. 
Well, I guess that is true because food is, it's as much about the experience as it yes. is about the food itself. Mm. If you just want protein, you can just go for something like our soy lent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. So, so the right way of looking at this technology in the marketplace is not that it is a nutritional replacement, but that it replaces the whole experience. Well, I would say not replace the experience, but offer the same experience, but with much, much lower environmental footprint. Okay. Right now, even with the lower cost medium, my chicken sandwich, even with your, your latest technology, it would still cost how much? Uh, It will be about uh, 100 gram, uh, 400, 300 dollars. Three or 400, okay. Yeah. It's still an expensive sandwich, yeah, but it's, it's trending expensive. in the right way. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you see this technology rolling out over the next five years, 10 years, 20 years? Hmm. What are the first applications? Who adopts it next, mm. and, and what will it look like 20 years from now? When it comes to cultured meat, probably it will still take about 10 years until you see them in supermarket. But when it comes to medical applications of that, I think it will be very, fairly quick. If you're talking about laboratory scale, probably within the next five years, you start seeing the complete uh, muscle tissues grown in university labs. Okay. So for clinical applications, what, what type of applications are the closest to seeing real-world use? Well, liver cells, liver cells. Yeah, for drug testing. Uh, yeah, first start with drug testing, and then it probably roll out into the like people with like liver illnesses, the replacement liver cells. And that's just because liver cells are particularly easy to grow. Uh, well, that's one, and also it's an important cell. <laughs> Yeah, because it secretes various hormones, and it's also the hub of the chemical process chains happening in the body. Okay, that makes sense. Now, before you mentioned that the other companies researching this technology for medical use mm. did not want to use the less expensive mm. culture medium for one reason or another, mm. can you use the less expensive culture mm. medium and still provide medical quality Cells or organs? Uh, yeah, that's the reason why we are teaming up with a like, medical supplies company. To upgrade from food-grade culture medium into medical-grade culture medium, we have to look at two things. One is the purity, and the second is traceability. Purity is not, it's actually not a huge problem. But traceability is, but traceability is actually not a science problem. What, what exactly is traceability? Yeah, traceability, is you have, you've defined all the components in it, but it takes a lot of expensive measurement analytical equipments to do that. And also, like, the whole track record of which component comes from where. Ah, all right. Okay, that makes sense. So we'll see those medical applications first in testing and then in sort of human liver cell transplants and mm. things. When should we expect to see lab-grown meat on, in supermarkets? Well, in supermarket, I would say uh, 2027, 2028, something like that. If before that, probably we get that in more expensive restaurants, not in general supermarket, but in special, like, well, butchery, if you call, well, cultured meat is not butchery, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> kind of by definition. Um, okay, so you mean more as like a novelty food, yes. an exotic food. Yeah. All right, but it, it's still... So right now, it costs $200 to get enough meat for my chicken sandwich. Mm. That needs to drop down by more than a factor of 100, yeah. right? So what is going to drive those cost reductions mm. 
over the next 15 years or so. From the current cost, one-tenth, one that will be uh, use, using like better cultural medium. But after that, to make it even cheaper, that, that, that's where economy of scale comes in. Okay, so automating the process. Yes, making, using bigger tanks, those things. Fantastic. One of the things I've noticed in Japan that I find really frustrating sometimes is that there is such amazingly good fundamental research that's being done in Japan in, in all fields. But Japanese companies, both large and small, tend to have a hard time productizing these, these technologies, tend to have a hard time taking this technology and putting it in people's hands. What steps do you think you should take or will be taking to make yeah. sure that this technology becomes a commercial product and not just uh, a series of really amazing academic mm. papers? <laughs> mm. yeah, well, I think that's where the systems engineering effort comes in. Think about the like, various aspects of the technology and then assemble necessary component and put that into a working organization. When it comes to productizing, what we are not doing is basically jumping into consumer products, and because that's very difficult. <laughs> so we are basically starting with medical applications, which is uh, more like research and development heavy, and then gradually, as we scale, make it cheaper, more viable, then move on, gradually move into the more closer to consumer products. And at the end, the goal is obviously the supermarket, which is very, very consumer product. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand yeah. and I said that you could change one thing about Japan, mm. anything at all, mm. you could change the education system, mm. uh, the way people think about risk, mm. anything at all to mm. make things better for startups here, mm. what would you change? What I would change is the, like, I would wish we young people, especially the scientists or people with the technology and people who are working with the technology to be more like rational and um, free of cognitive biases on the, the, uh, the risks of uh, doing startups. So what, what, yeah. what, what do you mean? What kind of cognitive biases do people yes. have? Well, there's always a certain degree, degree of uncertainty in doing a startup. Obvious risk is that it could fail. But when you, when you look at the actual numbers, even if it fails, it's actually, it doesn't entirely destroy you. <laughs> but people with, uh, with cognitive bias who are not very rational about the risks basically take that as the end of the world. <laughs> ah, okay. So you think that, that people are looking at startups and seeing them as much, much more risky than they really are. Well, because risky is basically, at least you recognize that risk, but most people, even before that, they just feared. <laughs> so just yeah. uh, more like uh, just focusing on the downside yeah. and, and worrying about the downside rather than looking at the whole picture. Yeah. And doing a more accurate risk reward. Mm, yeah. Okay. That's a, a deep cultural attitude that, that goes like that you oh, see in many places, not just startups. But I think it's just um, a question of people, especially young people, don't really know how to calculate those things. But mine, is, mine was actually quite simple. I basically uh, calculated this like uh, economic metabolic rate, which is the how much money do I need to sustain myself per year. Then I cal calculated that and it came out as uh, if I live my live if I live with my parents, that came out as well four hundred thousand yen, which is like four thousand dollars. Yeah. 
And basically, that's the bottom line. So if I, as long as I can earn that, so that as long as I have that money, I'm okay. I see. So it sounds like you're saying、mm. clearly define what your risks are and、mm. what your success criteria should、mm. be, and and then work within that. Yeah. Well, think, I'd say start start from there. Start from there. Yeah. Rather work within.、Mm. Do you think the reason a lot of people are scared of startups is they just they just don't do that analysis, or they focus too much on the downside, or? Oh, I would say、um, because they focus only on the downside and they don't know how to,、uh, they don't know about the techniques such as calculating the economic double grade, those things. <laughs> If there's a, a manual, it could probably help. <laughs> yeah, it probably would. But in the last ten years or so, we've seen a lot more startups in Japan. Do you think that attitude is changing? As more people get into start startups and things, many of the university see university students are starting to see like friends. Doing startups and those things, and those are the, probably the biggest factor in the, the increase in number of startups. So just having role models. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, and obviously those role models have the know-hows of how to do startups, how to make them make their minds on starting a startup. And also, looking at role models, you can see not just the negatives, not just the risks. You、mm. can see more complete lifestyle and,、yeah. and what's involved. Yeah. And probably until about ten, twenty years ago, most people thought startups something like the ways to make big bucks. But, but then, as we start seeing more role models, people start seeing it's actually not the money that drives those people. Well, excellent. I hope we're going to be seeing more and more of that in Japan too. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> hey, well, listen. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Thank you. And we're back after the interview. Yuki asked me to explain something that might not have been clear during the interview itself, but is really important for the future of shoujin meat and other biotech companies in Japan. Shoujin meat is not getting investment from pharmaceutical and life sciences companies; rather, they're selling research services to these companies. Things are challenging for life science startups in Japan. Japanese investors are quick to invest in proven SaaS business models or even hardware companies that can be expected to get to market in a few years. But life science companies usually require hundreds of millions of dollars in capital and won't see revenues for at least ten years. For the most part, Japanese investors are unwilling to take such risks. So it's interesting and encouraging. That large life sciences companies are filling that gap with long-term research contracts. You know, I have to admit, before the interview, I was secretly hoping that I would get to try some of Yuki's lab-grown meat. I don't know. Maybe I would arrive at the lab and we'd pull out some steak or ground beef-like substance out of a vat and we'd grill it up on a barbecue. I was a bit disappointed that the lab was not exactly set up that way. I didn't actually get to sample any lab-grown chicken, but several sources have assured me that it does indeed, well, taste like chicken. As to the future of lab-grown meat, it looks like it's coming. On a technical level, over the past decade, the costs have already come down three orders of magnitude. From hundreds of thousands of dollars to hundreds of dollars, and Yuki is confident that further improvements in the culture medium, along with automation and economies of scale, 
will bring it down another three orders of magnitude, from hundreds of dollars to a few dozen cents. With something like lab-grown meat, however, I assumed the big problem to widespread adoption was not technological, but social. Having consumers get used to the whole idea of lab-grown meat. So I found the survey results to be very encouraging. Across all cultures and countries, people were either already willing to eat lab-grown meat or quickly became so after a bit of education and explanation. It seems like we'll all be eating lab-grown meat a lot sooner than we ever expected. If you've got questions about growing meat in a vat or eating meat grown from a vat, Yuki and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 083 and tell us about it. And when you drop by the site, you'll see all the links and notes that Yuki and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan. Disrupting Japan is a proud member of the Japan Podcast Network. It's a community of some of the best audio content about Japan. So if you're looking for other high-quality podcasts about Japan, check out the other shows in the Japan Podcast Network.